Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, I want to talk about uh, a, a very big question, which is why is life so confusing? So this is kind of what everyone's wondering about. And um, just maybe take a kind of a, a unique approach to um, discussing this question. So, so we, know, we know that the Torah is a, is a blueprint of, of reality, the blueprint of the whole world, that God looked into the Torah and he made the whole world. And you see that uh, if you save one life, it's like you save the whole world. So e each person is, is, is a miniature of the entire world. And each person is also a miniature of the entire Torah. Because we know that we're divided up um, just anatomically into 613 parts. So, and each part of us addresses a different, a different mitzvah. So let's just review that thought. We just said a lot of things very quickly. So in other words... God made the world out of the Torah. So, and each person is like a world, and each person is like a Torah. So you see, it's already microcosms within microcosms and worlds within worlds. So we've got a lot going on right now. So, so where do you see that each person is, is not like a Torah, but is actually like a Torah scroll? Right? Because remember, whenever we talk about the Torah, like the... The mistake that everyone mistakes, uh, everyone makes, or I don't want to call it a mistake, but, but there's a, a level of depth that's, that's, that's incumbent upon us if we actually want to grasp the true nature of our existence. And a key foundation to making a breakthrough to that level of depth is understanding that the Torah is not just a, a book that you buy in a store, or not just a scroll, that, that the entire world is made out of Torah, literally. So, so that's, 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 that's we, we're, we're swimming in Torah. We're letters swimming in Torah, right? So there's, there's a lot going on. Um, and that the Torah is the, the infinite compressed into the finite. But simultaneously, it also operates on the level where you can reach on the shelf and take out a copy of the Torah, right? Because it's been, it exists in this incredibly condensed form as well. But that's not the essence of it. The essence of it is that it expands and it fills the entire world because God made the whole world out of it. Okay. And by the way, without getting too sidetracked, but just in case you're kind of like perplexed by that, what, what does that mean that God made the world out of the Torah? That God's will for the world, that's, that's, that's what we're calling the Torah. That's, that God's, as, as Reb Shlomo put it so beautifully one time, that that what, what are the Aseris Adibros, the Ten Commandments, which contain the whole Torah? Those are God's dreams for the world, right? And when you keep the mitzvahs, you're, you're dreaming God's dreams and you're praying God's prayers. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's all together. It's this amazing, flowing unity. Um, okay, good. But when we say it in a more sort of concrete way, it's no less true. That, that each person is like a Torah scroll, right? Because that's one iteration, that's one manifestation of what the Torah is. So, so you see many examples um, uh, that the rabbis give saying that a person is like a Torah scroll. So I want to give my, my own version of it, and, and just because I think it's the most visual. So there's a beautiful custom, which is that if a, a woman is pregnant, um, especially toward the end of her, her pregnancy, um, the custom is, the minig is, that the, 
that the, that the husband comes and opens up the ark when it comes time to read the Torah. And then he takes the Torah out of the ark and he hands it to the chazan. And that's considered to be a blessing for a, for a good delivery, for an easy birth. So, so if you think about it, why would that be the case? Because if you think about it, what's being acted out in front of you is a, is a birth delivery process. The ark is being opened. You're reaching in. You're taking out a Torah scroll. That's you. That's me. Right? And, and, and you're handing it off. So you see in a very beautiful, very sort of concrete way how a person is like a Torah scroll. And, and why that blessing makes sense. Why that correlates with a, a blessing for an easy birth. So, so if each person is a Torah scroll, now, now we're going to get a little bit deeper. So, so now we have a very fundamental question about the nature of the Torah. Is it in order or is it out of order? All right, and now we're starting to get back to this question, why is life so confusing? So, so in this week's Parsha, in Baloscha, we have a sort of a just, I don't, I don't, I don't know what the word is, a, um, the most concrete example that the Torah is out of order. And we'll discuss the other side of it for a moment. But no one argues with this instance, okay? So I'll just, um, I'll just kind of just try to make it as clear as possible. In the beginning of the book of Bamidbar, um, the book of Numbers, the events take place on, in the second month of the year. Okay, then later on in the book of Numbers, in Baloscha, you see an event that takes place in the first month of that year. So let's just say that, just tie that together. In the beginning of the book, an event takes place, we're told, in the second month of the year. And then a little bit later, an event takes place in the first month of that same year. So you see how it's out of order, right? Because the first month came second. So that's out of order. That's the definition of out of order. And by the way, even the people who say that, no, 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 the book is chronologically intact, have to acknowledge, no, 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 that's out of order. No one is disagreeing with the. There's no second opinion. The Torah is out of order there. Now, now you can argue like the Ramban famously does, that, but more or less, except for certain exceptions, the Torah is very much in order. And then God wants to demonstrate a very particular point by making a certain section out of order that's in order to teach us something. And that's true in every instance. It's just a question of just whether it's an isolated, unique kind of occurrence, or whether it's, you know, pretty much happening uh, a fair amount of the time. Okay. Either way... Both opinions agree, and of course we all agree, that the Torah is from God, and that everything is absolutely you know, divine wisdom, and that it's all in its proper place. It's just understanding what is God up to exactly. That's all. But I think that if you, going back to the point we were developing, if you understand yourself to be a Torah scroll, I think that there's profound implications to the notion that on some very deep soul DNA level, we may be out of order chronologically. 
Now, what does that mean exactly? What, what, what does that mean in terms of like our, our day-to-day, like this is a very esoteric, far-out idea, but let's kind of take it into the here and now. What does that mean exactly for us? Well, we believe in reincarnation. So with the exception of a few rabbis, I, I would say the Sadia Gon, right, who is one of our greatest rabbis in approximately the 800s. Remember, when the Jews were exiled um, out of Israel, when the, with the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, the, the Jewish community more or less moved uh, en masse to like Iran and Iraq. And we were there for a good 2,000 years. You know, there's still some communities there. But, but we, that was kind of like the center of the Jewish people. Then in around the years 800, 900, 1,000, Jews started to migrate into Europe. Okay? Now, whoever was the head of the Jewish community in, in Iran, Iraq, in that area, was known as the Reish Galusa, the head of the exile, or if you look in the English translation, one of my favorite English words, the exile ark. Right? You don't, you don't hear that word in conversation too much. <laughs> right? And just think of it just grammatically. Like you have a monarch, right? Or in this word, an exile arc, which means essentially the king or the head of the exile. Right? So, so the, the Reish Galusa was the head of the Jewish people, and that was a position that was held by whoever was the essentially the biggest rabbi in this Iran, Iraq thing was the head of the Jewish people. But then it started to migrate into Europe, okay? And then you have the beginning of the Crusades and all sorts of things, but that period where it sort of like goes from, say, the Sadiagon, the Haigon, these great leaders, into Europe, that's when you have, like, very soon after, that's where you have Rashi, that's where you have the Rambam, the Ramban, the you know, the, the, the school of Tosfos, all that's taking place pretty immediately in terms of, you know, history terms, pretty immediately after the shift from the Middle East into Europe. Okay, so there's some Jewish history. But, but the point is, is that the Sadia Gon, who is the head of the Jewish people and one of our greatest sages, says, no reincarnation. Okay, and I'm not sure where the Rambam falls. I, I, I know that he doesn't explicitly address it, and so perhaps he didn't hold by it. But I would say that if you would put them on one side, but, but there are many, many rabbis on the other side who say yes, going the Zohar, the Ari, the Baal Shem Tov, all the Rebbes, the Vilna Gon, you know, the whole Kabbalistic tradition is absolutely on the side of reincarnation in terms of Jews believing such a thing. So I'm just trying to give a, a balanced presentation. Um, so, so again, we're trying to figure out why is life so confusing, and we're also approaching it from the model that each one of us is like a Torah scroll. And so if we see that we're out of order, if the, if the Torah scroll, so to speak, is our timeline during our lifetime in this lifetime, Right? I'm not so so <clears throat> this is working on a few different levels. But what I'm talking about is that the Torah scroll is representing us right now in this incarnation right now. Okay? But then when you hit a section that's out of order, you see, let me let me make it more real. Did you ever wonder, and we've all wondered this, 
why did that just happen? <laughs> you know, everything was going this way, and then all of a sudden, this thing came up. Like, what is going on? Right? Every one of us asks that sometimes multiple times a day. <laughs> you know? So, so I would suggest, what I would suggest is that if there's something that all of a sudden seems like surprising or confusing or perhaps very much out of sync, that it could be very much that what's happening is you are now encountering some aspect of fixing from a previous life, or you are encountering some form of fixing for an event that hasn't happened yet. Because we know that sometimes, you know, things that we do now are to give us merit for things that we're going to do later. And sometimes even things that we haven't even done yet, we're getting merit for right now. I'll give you an example of that, which is that there are different, um, there are different opinions of uh, why the Red Sea split. Okay, one, one opinion is because the, the, the sea saw the bones of, uh, of Yosef. And because Yosef was able to overcome his nature, meaning his natural urges with his test with Potiphar, so the Red Sea, or the Sea of Reeds, also went against its nature and split. Okay, so that's, that's one example. Another example is that the same word for splitting is used when Abraham Avinu split the wood for the Akedah, for the binding of Isaac. So because Abraham split the wood for the Akedah, that same word for splitting shows up later. That merit gets transferred to the Jews generations and generations later. So that's something from the past, which is all of a sudden making itself present. But here's the most way out example, which is why I'm telling you this. Another explanation is, remember, it's, the, the key word is split, because that's the word that's being used, baka, is being used for the splitting of the sea. The rabbis explain that the sea split because of the half coin we were going to give in the future for the mishkan, for the tabernacle in the desert. So now here you really see how timelines get totally twisted and way out, how the past becomes the present, how the future becomes the present, right? We hadn't even done that mitzvah yet of giving the coin, but in anticipation that we were going to do that, God was already leveraging that merit of a future act that we hadn't even done yet and applying it to our present. Now since we're on the topic, I'll tell you something else, which is a beautiful kavanah to have. I heard this from Reb Shlomo. I heard it with my own ears. By the Dodi. So we turn around and we say boi, right? And we and we bow down, and then you, then you turn again, and you should bow down before you kind of face forward. So, so there's three bowing downs. There's the the first bowing down when you turn around. Then you kind of turn, you know, split the difference, and then you bow down, and then you face forward, and you bow down. And and what he said, and you say each time boi kala, but he says that one should have in mind, God. Please fix my future, fix my past, and deliver my present. 
it's a very powerful moment of prayer where you can have a lot of kavanah at that moment, especially if you're in a place with a lot of singing, even places that don't sing much will sing for Lachadodi, so there's sort of some inspiration in the air. But but listen to the way he phrased that. I, he says, begin, you say, please God, fix my future. Right? Fix my past and deliver my present. So, you have a lot of multiple timelines going on at the same time. And not just multiple timelines in terms of um, reincarnation and also God's considering, you know, what might be needed for your children and your children's children, right? Because God was applying the merits of Abraham Avinu and applying it like I heard to, to generations in the future. I heard Rabbi Pesach Kron say the following, you know, a lot of times we become frustrated or even angry at God because we say, God, I did this mitzvah and I did that mitzvah and I did so much and, you know, essentially, where's my payday? Right? And, and it's a natural thought and it's not, it's not necessarily even a bad thought. It's not even, but, 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 but it is bad if a person stays angry. It's not, it's not wrong to ask or even feel some frustration. But the way Rabbi Pesach Kron put it was, what if God said to you, you know that you did that amazing mitzvah. Don't think I didn't see it. And don't think that I wasn't like amazed by it, right? I'm filling in some words here. <laughs> Writing some dialogue for God there. So, <laughs> so but, but what if, how would you feel, how would you feel if we preserved that in tremendous merit, right? And gave it to your a loved one who's going to need it. It's going to it's going to actually save their life. Like maybe God forbid someone will be sick and all of a sudden they're going to get a healing because you did that. How would how would you feel about that? Oh, you mean to tell me that you know I could get another few grand in the bank or my loved one's life is going to be saved? Yes, please apply it to that God. So we don't, we don't really know. You know, it's sort of like, um, you know, we talk about this phrase. You hear this phrase like schusavos. Schusavos means the the merit of your holy fathers and mothers. And sometimes, often, we're the recipient that a lot of the great things that are happened to us in our life aren't because of us. They're because of our our parents and our grandparents and things like that. That we are the recipients of their love. But sometimes, here's what this is saying, sometimes you're the avos. Sometimes you're the avos giving over your schus, your merit, to loved ones, either in this timeline or, or down the line in generations. Right? So, so this is, I mean, it, it's kind of funny because if you, if you understand the implications of this, not only is my not getting this merit right now... Um, not a sign of being ignored. In other words, I'm not being ignored, but, but God is taking the most, the utmost care in, in doing what I would want most. Right? So, and only God can do that. I can't do that. I remember I read something, uh, just a side thought, but I, 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 read, I read something 
in a in a in a sefer many many years ago. I believe it was from the Alter Rebbe of Lubavitch. I'm not positive, but that's somehow my memory. But whoever it was from, it was someone who was raising money for the Chernobyl Rebbe during that time. Now, I heard from Reb Shlomo that the Chernobyl Rebbe was the head of the Lamed Vav Tzadikim. And of course, he's one of the greatest Hasidic masters. The Me'ore Nayim is, is a classic, classic work. And I, I, I told you before, but I'll tell you again, one of my favorite things about the Me'ore Nayim which means the, you know, the, the in, enlightenment of the eyes, I guess would be one translation, um, is that it's only, the only Torahs in that book, and it's written of the absolute classics of Hasidus, the only Torahs written down in that book are Torahs that he didn't remember saying. Because he felt like, if I remembered saying it, maybe there's some ego attached to it. <laughs> Can you imagine? So it's just the purest collection of Torahs he himself didn't even remember saying them. Isn't that something? So, so someone was collecting, like, do you know how much I, what I would, how much I would love to be able to give, like, Sadaka to the Chernobyl Rebbe? Like, that was, I can't do that right now. I can't do that right now. But there was a time where it's like if you read that letter or heard that note, you could actually do that in that timeline, you know? So there's all sorts of opportunities that are going on, um, some in our lifetime, some, some not in our lifetime, and Hashem himself is managing those opportunities. And he's doing it with the utmost love and the utmost justice, right? So, so again, we're trying to figure out why life is so confusing. And we, we, we understand ourselves that the, the whole world is made out of Torah. We ourselves are made out of Torah. We're composed of 613 parts, right? So, so we're a microcosm of the Torah. We're a microcosm of the world. And we're even Torah scrolls. And just like the Torah scroll is written out of order, so our lifetime is also written out of order because sometimes we'll hit an event in our life where we now have an opportunity to fix something from a previous life. Now, now, that's an amazing thing, and I'll tell you, since we're discussing the Chernobyl, I, I, I'll tell you something that I just learned it from, I believe it was in the Moranayim, um, on the subject of Gilgul, of, of, of reincarnation. And he says that if there is, if you want to know, like, you see, the way Reb Shlomo put it, is that this whole world is a hospital clinic. And every single person in this world is here to fix something. Right? The idea of a new soul coming down is considered a very rare thing. For the most part, we can... I mean, if you hold by this concept of reincarnation, you should pretty much hold by the fact that you've been here at least once or multiple times before. Um, so, so the idea is... It, it's natural to wonder, what do I have to fix during this lifetime? So we don't know exactly. So, so what the Chernobyler says is, look to what mitzvah, what positive thing you're very, very much drawn to, right? And look to what thing which would be in the negative category, like something that's prohibited, that you're very, very much drawn to. And there you will have a clue as to what needs to be fixed. And what I think is very interesting about that is that he's 
what the Chernobyl is doing is he's pointing to the positive and the negative. Because remember, we have two sets of we have two sets of mitzvahs. We have the what we say the the mitzvahs ase, the positive commandments, and the mitzvahs lotase, the negative commandments. So it would make sense that any aspect of fixing should address both aspects of our, 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 our of ourself. As as the line in Tehillim so succinctly, you know, you know, embodies this: "Sur me ra va'ase tov," right? Um, go away from bad and do good. In other words, your humanity is really composed of twin engines. One is to be able to move, and the other is to be able to restrain yourself. And both of these things are very foundational to your humanity. The ability to act and the ability to actually not act, to, to, to restrain yourself. It's very, very important. Um, it's not just about always doing. Sometimes it's about n- not saying whatever it is, right? Okay, but it's both. It's both. Okay, good. So, so let's keep on going. So, so the idea is that that sometimes we're going to have particular opportunities, and and it 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 won't necessarily make sense why this happened because it's not actually dealing with our present timeline. It's a past timeline or a future timeline imposing itself on us in the moment. Okay. So now, that's, that's part one of why is life so confusing. But now let's go to part two. Because wouldn't it be interesting to know if, if this is a classic example where it says, where it's talking about in Baloscha, it's talking about the events of the first month of that year. That's the part that's out of order. Wouldn't it be interesting to know, and everyone agrees that that part is out of order. That's like the poster child of the Torah is out of order. Wouldn't you like to know what the Torah is discussing at that moment? <laughs> like, what did God choose to make as the hallmark that the Torah is not chronological, or that, for, I'm extending the point now, that our lives th- themselves are out of order? So the answer, I think, is, is fascinating. What it's talking about at that moment is Pesach and Pesach Sheni. Pesach Sheni, so we're, we're speaking in code right now, so, so one of the... <clears throat> there's only two mitzvahs ase, two positive commandments, that a person can... Um, well, Archive Chorus. This is like considered to be the, the worst spiritual offense. Right? A person can get cut off from heaven, God forbid. What are these two positive commandments that are chai of chorus? Right? They're so important. Right? And this applies to, to us, to one of them, to even today. One is bringing the Korban Pesach. So the day before Passover, that's the 15th of the month of, of, of Nisan. The 14th of the month, right before, the day before, everyone would bring this... Um, this, this pa- Passover offering. It was this lamb or a goat, right? Sheep, maybe, even. Um, and, uh, and you'd eat it, and there was a whole ceremony and everything like that. That was like, so to speak, membership dues in the Jewish people. Okay, very, very important. The second one, which applies even today, is for men to, have, uh, to be circumcised. 
So even today, that, that one is still around. And um, it's, a, it's a mitzvah for the, the father to do it. By the way, a, a woman can perform a kosher circumcision. And you see that Moshe's son, Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu's son was circumcised by his wife Zipporah. So it's 100% halachic for a woman to be a moil. And what's so interesting about this on a spiritual level, we're not talking physically right now, we're talking spiritually. One of the laws of um, a a moel, the person who performs a circumcision, has to be quote-unquote kosher. So what does kosher mean? It means that he has to actually keep kosher, and he has to observe the the Sabbath. So be a Sabbath observer and keep kosher. If he does those things, then he can be a kosher moel. So, um, and then there's another um, stipulation. He himself has to be circumcised. Now, isn't it interesting that a woman is allowed to perform a circumcision? And it's because, spiritually speaking, they're considered, they have this whatever spiritual benefit that a man gets from being circumcised, a woman already has it. So, so she is able to do it as well. Okay. So anyway, getting back to this idea... Um, so, so I'm just telling you all this to tell you which part of the Torah is out of order and what it's discussing there. So it's talking about bringing the Korban Pesach, the Passover offering. Okay, now we just said you have to bring it. Otherwise, there are horrible spiritual consequences. What if you can't bring it? <laughs> That's a problem. What if you're too far away? What if you mixed up the dates? What if you broke your leg? Right? What if you're Tommy? You touched a dead body. Right? There's all sorts of um, there are all sorts of things that can come up in life that could stop you from bringing it. You know, the Torah, remember, the Torah is exceedingly mystical and like cosmic. At the same time, it's exceedingly practical. Right? It, 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 it goes from one end of the spectrum to the, end of the other end of the spectrum. So, of course, they're going to consider if you broke your leg or something like that and you can't make the journey to Jerusalem. Okay, so what's the answer? The answer is, is that the people who were knocked out of the box, there were, there were people who contacted, were in contact with a dead body, they were not able to bring the first Corbin Pesach, and they said to Moshe, why should we not be able to do this tremendous mitzvah? And Moshe says, okay, you know, I'll, I'll ask God. And, and, and God says, absolutely. We're going to make a brand new chance for them to bring it one month from that day. And that's called Pesach Sheni, or we can translate it as the second Pesach. Or, as Reb Shlomo would put it, that's the capital of second chances, right, on the, on the calendar itself. That there's this porthole for second chances that are built into the Torah. And that's what that is. Now, there's, you can go on and on and on and on about Pesach Sheni. I'll just make one kind of interesting point, which is that the Torah says that if you're, if you're too far to have brought it, like what, 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 when is a person eligible to bring it? It says if a person is too far, and then Rashi, the Rashi there, if you say, what is the definition of too far? you could have been right at the gates of the Beis HaMikdash, or the Mishkan. And even that qualifies as too far. In other words, for being eligible for a second chance. 
Like, so what would that instance be? Maybe the sun went down at that point. In other words, maybe you were the last one online. I once was trying to go to a wedding. A childhood friend of mine was getting married. I was flying standby. There was a whole long line and everyone was getting on. And then it got up to me and they said, no. <laughs> it's like, I was, I was, I was one too many. <laughs> so I just think about that. Like you're standing at the gate of the Mishkan, right? You, you, you want to do it, right? And, but you didn't make it. By the way, you have to be there. The Rambam brings that if you sent your sacrifice in advance, even if it was even sacrificed or whatever it is, you have to be there too. So that, that doesn't count, right? So, but on a deeper level, a person might say, you know what? You know why I'm never going to get another chance? Because I was right there, I was right there, and I blew it. But no, here, here's, what, here's what the Torah is saying. You can be, have been right there and have blown it, and you still get another chance. So, so let's just take a step back and understand the, the, the wider implication of this, because I think it's significant. Again, our, Torah, our life is like a Torah scroll. The timeline of this lifetime right now is like a Torah scroll, and it's out of order. And where is it out of order? How do we know again that it's out of order? Because of this thing that's talking about this section of the Torah that's talking about Pesach and Pesach Sheni, which means what? Which means that why are things out of order in order to give you a second chance? <laughs> right, what did we just say? That sometimes life is going to be so confusing because you're dealing with another lifetime at that point, right? But what is going on? What does that mean that you're dealing with another lifetime? On the, on the one hand, it's sort of like frustrating because this is so confusing and I don't know what's happening. But what's actually happening because it's out of order is you are being given a second chance at that moment. It's an opportunity to fix something. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's just, I'm just telling you, just, just talking about the organization of the Torah. So, so that's us. You know, we have, um, we have an interesting, interesting custom Rav Shlomo talks about it. It's a good question. On Simcha's Torah, what's happening on Simcha's Torah? We actually reach the end of the Torah, the Torah scroll. And, um, and then, of course, as soon as we finish, we start right up again. We don't want there to be any gap. So you would think that if this is sort of like a party on finishing the Torah, what's the best thing to do? Let's have a big class about the Torah. Or let's have a big class about the end of the Torah. Or let's have a big class about how the end of the Torah connects to the beginning of the Torah. There is no formal Torah study on Simcha's Torah. In fact, the Kutzke Rebbe says very beautifully, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating that we got to the end of the Torah and we realize, the celebration is that we realize that we haven't even begun it. That's how deep the Torah... We know, that's why we're so happy that this Torah is so infinite. We haven't even begun it. And we know because we got to the end of it. And we know there's so much more. There's endless amounts more. But Reb Shlomo is, is concentrating on a different point. He says, not only do we not study the Torah on Simchas Torah, 
but the Torah is covered, right? Because we're dancing with it with the velvet cover on top of it. So in other words, it's almost like we're going to the opposite extreme. Not only aren't we sitting down around the Torah, learning the Torah, we're actually concealing the Torah. And if I'm, if I'm remembering what Rabbi Shlomo said accurately, maybe I added to it over the years, I don't know. He says that each one of us is like a Torah scroll, and each one of us is so concealed. Right? Because when you look at me or when I look at you, what do I know about you really? And what do you know about me really? Right? I mean, we're all together, but then on some level we're all concealed. And just another aspect of just this world that we're in. And just, we'll start to wrap it up, just maybe just end on this point. Another kind of question came to me, which is that on the one hand, we're a whole Torah scroll. Each one of us is a whole Torah scroll. Like when you open up the ark and you take out the Torah, right? That's you and me. On the other hand, though, each one of us is a letter in the Torah. So, so that seems like less. Like, wait a second, a moment ago you told me I was the whole Torah scroll. Now it's like, it's like rollbacks, you know? It's like this, this contract negotiation went really badly. I'm just I'm left with one letter. A moment ago I was the whole Torah scroll. What happened? So you can say, you know, like, you can say, well, the Torah scroll is the community, and that's me as the individual fitting into the community. Okay, that's, that's also nice, but that's not really what our question is. I just said, you were the whole Torah scroll. So how, how do you reconcile these two thoughts, from you being the entire Torah scroll to you being a letter in the Torah? How do those two things work? Well, they're both true. They're both true. But how are they both true? So I thought, well, you know, it's kind of interesting. If the Torah is missing one letter, the entire Torah is puzzle. You can't use the entire Torah if it's missing one letter. So there you see, halakhically, each letter has the same power as the entire Torah scroll. Because if it's missing one letter, the, the entire scroll can't be used. So yeah, there you see, actually, each letter has the power of the entire Torah scroll. So there is no problem now. You are the entire Torah scroll, and you are also one letter within it, which has the power of the entire Torah scroll, because if any one of us is missing from the community, we're broken which is why we need all of us together, working together. Now for some questions and answers. I just want to reflect that um, yeah. the point of uh, if something happens, you have to fix, it's obviously a sign from another past lifetime. Could right? be, it could be, I could mean, be, I'm, yeah. 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 But it's, I, I think about my life and, and, and the, the people in my life and my children and like, there's a lot of different situations that yeah. you know you see happening to them to me and everything and I'm thinking on this level that whoa you know like there's a lot of fixing going on but at the same time yeah. it's very inspiring because yeah it's uh, it, it's just a tool to see your life from that you know not as a victim but more as as uh, as just part of like Fixing it and yeah, you're very much in the driver's seat in that in that in that point of view. Yeah. 
100%. And then what I would say is just working with that thought for a moment, I would say, what are your expectations? What are your goals? In other words, one would have to have realistic goals. Like in, in, other, in, other, in other words, um, let's say um, you're given essentially an impossible situation. Let's just say, I'm not saying that's your situation, but let's just say that someone's given an impossible situation. Um, so if their goal is to make it 100% fantastic, that doesn't really make sense. It's not, that's not one of the options. So, so that's what I'm saying. Like, it, that, that invites a, 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 deeper, a deeper thought, which is, okay, what, what about this situation is my fixing? What about this situation? And try to get very specific about it. In, instead, of in trying to try, in, instead of turning it from horrible to fantastic, or for, you know, you know, incurable to, you know, Olympic athlete, and making that the measure of success, maybe think a little bit more carefully or discuss it with someone like, well, what actually is my, what actually is my responsibility in this situation? And I think that that, that would be very, a very healthy approach. Because it won't be too overwhelming, and even more importantly, it won't be unrealistic. Because God isn't like setting us up for failure. He's, he's bringing us back to give us the opportunity for success. Which means that there has to be some success version of this test, which may not be what we would immediately want, because you know we want the storybook ending, and we want the complete fixing, and everything like that. But maybe that's us being a little bit unrealistic or perhaps immature even, or unsophisticated would be a, a better word for it. Maybe think, well, okay, this is actually going to require this, which is really hard for me to do, you know. But I can, I hate to admit it, but I can actually do that. I don't want to do it, <laughs> but I can do it. And and narrow it down. Yeah. How do you reconcile the idea of the second chance and the toroscope? Because if one letter is slightly off, it doesn't have to be gone. If it's off, the whole Sefer Torah is puzzled. So how do you fix your... It feels like a lot of pressure on the person of whether the full toroscope and one six hundred thousand is slightly smudged. And or if you are if you are a letter yeah. and you're slightly smudged, your 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 whole world is the whole world is uh, puzzled in the fact. Well, okay, so I agree, but I'm going to put it into different words, okay? Which is that. Remember, this is I, I say this almost wherever I give a talk. I, I almost always say this, which is that everybody has the same question. Every single person has the same question, whether they know it or not, whether they can articulate it or not, which is, if there's a God, why is the world so messed up? Right? Everyone is wondering about this. And, and as I understand it, with the, with the, the Torah has a very clear answer for this, which is that it's because the world isn't finished yet. The world's not done yet. That's, 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 that, that's a... That's a very important thought. That's like a breakthrough thought to understand that we are partners with God. God created us to be partners with Him 
to finish the world and to perfect the world. So, so the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm bringing that up now is because, yeah, maybe I haven't, you know, you know, made my letter like really nice and sharp. Remember, there are halachas to how you write the letters. Like, for instance, my, my favorite halacha in terms of writing the letters is that inside the letter pay is a letter bays in, in the blank spot there. And, you know, it's hard to picture when I just say it, but next time you look into a Torah scroll, stare at the letter pay and you'll see a white letter bays inside of it. It's wild. So, so it seems to me, and I thought I even saw this thought in, in, a, in, in, in a, one of the Sifri Kodesh, one of the holy books, that over the course of several lifetimes, it's almost like we're getting the particulars of our letter right. <laughs> if you understand, because some letters are actually composed of other letters. Like a kuf is the letter um, resh and the letter zion. You write a resh and then a zion, and that's a kuf. So maybe you got the resh part. Maybe you got the vav part of the zion right. But maybe you're working on that little you know, vertical, that little uh, diagonal slant on top of the, <laughs> on top of the Zion in this lifetime, you know? So, but I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that don't think of it the way you were describing it, that it's sort of like, okay, everyone's Torah is, everyone's letter is great and the Torah is great, but my letter is smudged and I'm messing up the entire world. What, what I would suggest is, since there's, approximately 7 billion people in the world right now, right? Is that we're all working on, we're all working on what we have to do. The world is not finished yet because we don't have the base of Migdash yet, we don't have Mashiach yet. The world is, we're all kind of working on it, but we're all working on it because the world is still in a state of being created, right? In other words, that, that is the natural plan. So it could be that other people are making greater progress or have even finish the job, but clearly there's quite a number of us who haven't. So, so I, I think that's a more positive spin, that we're all kind of like doing it together, you know? Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned uh, about the order in the Torah, and I, I can't think of anything more uh, about the argument about what's in order, what isn't in order, is the... Um, you know, the Agabus Ahav uh, being, you know, after we're getting the Ten Commandments and, and the building of the Mishkan, okay, so the, you know, this as kind of a, a kapara for that in a way. So uh, we have, we're not, we're told, you know, don't make any idols, don't have any other gods, you know, and, you know, and then right away we do that. And then it's, so the Mishkan is written before Kisisah. And you know that that comes after, and we, we think is that as you know that's I'll dwell with you know among you, you know as a as a kapara for that. But then you think of and, and another thing you said was that um, you know you know I look what all I've done I deserve it you know Hashem why aren't you giving me what I what what I need Well look at Moshe who. Who wanted to go into the the Holy Land, and and then you, you think about well, Chutavot, in the sense that maybe that was the the necessary thing that had to happen in order for the Jewish people 
to uh, to arrive in, in the promised land. So, so what I mean, look how great Moses was. Look at all he did, and and you think that maybe that is a, a, a totally how could God do this to him? You know, and but at, in the in the merit of that, they were able to go into the land and conquer the land. So and those are just like two illustrations that I was thinking yeah. about. Yes, absolutely. There, there's, yeah, yep. And even the Torah, the, the giving of the Torah itself, that Parshas Yisro begins with the whole conversation with uh, Moshe coming to greet Yisro and everything like that. And then later in the Parsha, we have the, the Ten Commandments, right? The, the, the revelation of the Torah Mount Sinai. But if you look at the commentaries there, they say that Parsha is out of order. That really, Yisro came after the Torah was given. So, you know. In, in general, the Torah is in order. In general, it is. And in general, there is a logic and a cause and effect that's comprehensible to our lives. Right? Um, but then you have certain instances throughout where, where you see something else. Yeah. Um, just, just to repeat and clarify a, a, a point that you were making in case people didn't follow it. Um, there is one very kind of widely held belief that the reason why we had the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert, which later becomes the base of Migdash, the holy temple in Jerusalem, was in order to fix the sin of the golden calf. Right? Like Rashi says that very clearly. And yet, the command to build the Mishkan appears in the Torah before the sin of the golden calf. So would we have had a Mishkan if we didn't commit the sin of the golden calf? That's one question. Maybe we were going to get it anyway. But why is it, if, if it's directly there to fix the golden calf, why did we get all the instructions to build it before the golden calf? Right? So there's, there's all sorts of questions. But to me, like, these are the most beautiful questions. Because to me this shows... See, I think that there are some people whose instinct would be, well, that doesn't make any sense. Or why is it like that? Or if it's that? You know what I mean? It's sort of like, um, sort of like a, a very sort of um, visceral kind of like um, budding of heads that kind of... But, you know, do you understand this world? <laughs> do you understand reality? Can you ever understand this world? I mean, if it, to me, it's like if you actually take a more intelligent approach to life and try to expand your mind to the depths of the mysteries that engulf us every single nanosecond, for goodness sakes, I mean, shouldn't the document which, which embodies the entire universe be weaved with mysteries? Like, to me, that just... That, if it's not that way, I'd be a little bit suspicious, you know? Um... You know, as, as the Kutzkarevi said so amazingly, I would never worship a God I understood. Right? Because the way I understand that is because if you completely understand God, then you're also God. So then what do you need God for? <laughs> you know? I mean, by definition, God should be beyond understanding. If God is not beyond understanding, there's some... That, that's a problem. You know? Okay. Okay. <laughs>